James chapter 1, please. Rejoicing through trials. Starting in verse 2. This will not be a long sermon, but I hope it will be a beneficial one. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Here the Apostle James declares to the brethren something very odd, something that seems counterintuitive. To count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. That sounds like very odd advice to our modern ears, doesn't it? Why would James say something like, Count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations? Our initial reaction is to flee temptation. After all, aren't we called on to pray to lead us not into temptation? It's the exact same word here. Jesus tells us to pray to enter not into temptation, but James says to count it all joy when you fall into temptation. What are we to make of this? How are we to understand this admonition, this command of James, this command of God to count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations? Well, first of all, we are to have the knowledge of God and of Christ. For without the knowledge of God and Christ, you will not be able to count it all joy. Without the knowledge of God and Christ, without the knowledge of the gospel, you will not be able to count it all joy. So all of this is built on everything else taught in Scripture, of the sovereignty of God, of the grace of God, of the free offer of salvation in the gospel, of the providence of God, salvation by faith, And when you have a holistic understanding of all of the Scripture, of everything that God has taught, then you will be able, you will be equipped to count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. But to get into the text itself, James says to count it joy, to count it. This is an imperative. Consider, to understand it, to say in your mind definitively, And as A.T. Robertson says, do it now once for all. In fact, the uh, Weymouth translation translates this, reckon it nothing but joy. Once for all, have a finality in your understanding that you will count it joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Reckon it nothing but joy. A.T. Robertson goes on to say, not just some joy mixed with grief, but just joy. Only joy. Unalloyed joy. What are we to count joy? What are we to have a finality in our understanding that we are to rejoice in? We are to rejoice when we fall into diverse temptations. Now this is very interesting, and this is where we find the division an understanding and reconciliation between this and the uh, Sermon on the Mount when Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer to not lead us into temptation. That this temptation is a different temptation than what James is speaking of. 
Very often in Scripture, you can have the same word used in different contexts. And the context of this is not the idea of uh, count it joy when you have an inward temptation, but the idea of falling into trial. That's the idea here. And this is when you fall in. The picture here is that of being surrounded by trials. When you fall into water, you're surrounded by water. But yet the water is on the outside of you, and that's the idea here. Not those trials that arise from inside, but those trials without. So you are to call it all joy. When you fall in the midst and you see yourself surrounded by sin, surrounded by trials, surrounded by temptation. It is easy to testify, everyone here, it is easy to testify that we are all surrounded by trials. We are tried every time we leave the house. We are tried every time we go to the store. We're tried every time we meet someone who catches our eye. We are tried every time we see an ad. We are tried every time we get online. And nowadays we are tried every time we pull our phones out of our pocket. We indeed are surrounded by trials and temptations. Our life is a life of trial and temptations. Billboards and magazines. Every immodest woman. Every moment of road rage is a trial. To show our foolish minds whether or not we have faith. These trials. Can be applied to the heart in ways we don't understand. Every moment. Every moment of we have of losing our temper is a moment lost of rejoicing. Every time we lose our temper, any time we are not under self-control is a moment of rejoicing lost. Every moment we have impatience and pride is a moment of rejoicing lost. Every time you have man every time you have manifested true faith in Christ is a moment to rejoice. These trials are certainly different from inward temptations. Like I said, we're to avoid inward temptations with all of our heart. Inward temptations are not of the Lord. These outward trials are most certainly of the Lord. And there is a difference. James goes on to explain using the exact same word. Uh, turn down, look down in, uh, starting at verse 13. James chapter 1. James addresses the difference between inward temptations and outward trials. Verse 13, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Neither tempteth he any man. Whatever your understanding of God's sovereignty is, whatever your understanding of His providence, and the things that He has ordained that will come to pass in your life, Whatever verses you've read that makes you think you understand the sovereignty of God has to be in conjunction with this verse that says, God does not tempt any man. God does not, through any of His providence, any of His working in your heart and mind, tempt you inwardly to sin. Any type of theology or any type of excuse or justifying your sin using the sovereignty of God is calling James a liar 
in this verse. Neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Those inward trials come from within. They come from your heart, your mind, your lust, your passion, your ignorance. When Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brother, and you children. You listen to me. There's lots and lots of sins that mama and daddy have kept you from. And we'll strive with all of our hearts to keep you from. There's lots and lots of lies of Satan to make sin look alluring or tempting. And your own natural curiosity will feed into that. The devil knows about curious minds. But you get in this, this verse into your heads now. That sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. We're going to read about that in the second service in Pilgrim's Progress. How having that understanding of sin bringing death insulated faithful from destroying himself, body, and soul. We are not to count these inward temptations joy at all, but we are to fight against them with all of our heart. When God reveals to us through these trials and temptations, when we find ourselves failing, that should have a light bulb go off in your mind to go, I'm not very strong. This is what I am. God's revealing to me what I am. I need to repent. I need to be something better. We all want to be something better than what we are. We are to fight against these inward temptations with all of our hearts as our Lord and Savior Jesus taught us to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Jesus also admonished his disciples to watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. Is that a con- constant in your prayers? Lord, let me not enter into temptation. You know I am weak. You know I will fall. You know I will give in. Help me, Lord, to insulate these inward temptations. Protect me, O God. So we know that our we, we are we know that we are weak, so we want to avoid these temptations. There is simply no uh, no excuse for knowing your weakness and indulging in it. That is to sin willfully. For that requires sincere repentance. It is like the drunk who knows he's a drunk. And though he's a repentant, and though he has turned from that sin, it is no shame to him that he is not able to, he doesn't have to go get a bottle of whiskey and keep it in the house just to prove that he's not a drunk anymore. He's not saying that he's less spiritual because he can't handle the presence of alcohol in the house. We don't have uh, access to TV in our house. We don't have cable or uh, I guess we have internet so we can look at. (laughs) We do all of our TV watching online. Uh, But with uh, mostly with the internet and you watching TV, you can pick and choose what you watch. Actually, over the past year, my wife and I have probably watched more television on our phones than we have uh, off the computer. 
That being said, I don't want that temptation in my heart and mind. I know on our cell phones that uh, we have some pretty good uh, security measures on our cell phone. And that just simply uh, prevents me and prevents anybody and everybody ought to have something on their phones to prevent uh, going to certain sites. But that, there's certainly no uh, shame in admitting I don't want to even go there. I don't want to try and endure that trial. You don't walk into temptation. You don't uh, try and prove how tough you are. James says, count it all joy when you fall in temptation. Fall in action. You don't mean to be there. You don't want to be in the midst of temptation. No one says you have to go live in Sodom to prove how spiritual you are. Rather, this more spiritual man may understand his frail nature and keep himself from situations he will sin. And if you apply yourselves, you can keep yourself out of most temptation in this world. We are to avoid those temptations due to God revealing to us the weakness of our nature. Now this word uh, temptation, this word trial is very interesting. And as we know, God here employs these outward trials to show us our inward weaknesses. And thus these outward trials are vital to the Christian life. And they're actually vital to your growth and grace, to your comfort, and these trials are vital to your rejoicing. It is because of these trials and these diverse temptations, again it's the same word in the Greek, these diverse temptations end up becoming a source of joy for God's faithful Christians. So how do these trials become a source of joy and we can rejoice going through them? We certainly don't rejoice in the temptations themselves. We don't rejoice that there's evil. We don't rejoice that there's a devil, that there's a tempter, that there's people out there who actively plot especially against Christians, to get Christians to sin, to make them look foolish. The TV and the media love a good uh, pastor's scandal, love a good church scandal, so they can continually excuse their own sins by calling us hypocrites. And it is a shame when there is a public sin. But these temptations, these outward trials, are a source of joy and encouragement and assurance for the Christian. Let me explain. First of all, these trials, when we fall into these diverse temptations by the permission and by the providence of God, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. When we think of ourselves and the depth of sin we're capable of, we do shrink back, we do fear, we do get scared to get out of bed in the morning. He said, I hope you have that low of opinion of your own your own righteous fortitude. Starting in verse 13. Again, this is a background and understanding and knowledge that we need in order to be able to count it all joy. This is a reason we can count it all joy when we fall into diverse temptations because there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted. That's the exact same word from James. 
Above that ye are able. That is outwardly. But will with the temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. That God will make a way of escape to keep these outward trials from getting on the inside of you. Now sometimes these trials are persecution. And sometimes these persecutions end in death. That's not, he's not saying you may escape these trials and not have to deal with it, not have to deal with the consequences of it. But he's saying that no matter what trial you're going through, whether it's a temptation of sin, of lust, of anger, of unloving acts, or temptations of intimidation and fear to uh, reject Christ and put off your faith and be ashamed of God and of Christ, he is... He has promised, this is a promise, that He will make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. What a tremendous verse and something that we can rest our heads on at night as a soft pillow and sleep comfortably knowing that God's not going to just throw us to the wolves. He's not going to say, you better get tough or die. That's not the way God is able. God is gently bringing us up as a loving Father who knows our weaknesses. He's not going to let us destroy ourselves. And we are to understand this because uh, in 2 Corinthians, let me read to you 2 Corinthians 13.5. I'll read this for you. Examine yourselves. This is uh, a form of the same word here of tempted or temptations as in James. But here the context demands that the translators translate this examine. Examine, try yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how Jesus Christ is in you except ye be reprobates. Except ye be given over to your own sins and own lust. If ye be given over to your free will. So how are we to examine ourselves and prove ourselves if we are in the faith? If that we, if Jesus Christ is in us, ex- or whether or not we're just plain Christianity, and really we're just a bunch of hypocritical reprobates. Well, we do this in the light of these trials we fall into. We try ourselves and examine ourselves whether we are obedient and faithful to Christ while we're going through these trials. And unfortunately, all too often, we tend to think of those trials that we fail at most often. In fact, you probably can't even name all the trials and temptations to sin you've gone through just this morning on the way here to church. How many opportunities did you have to sin? I can tell you one opportunity none of you took to sin, and that is to ignore the worship of God. To ignore the command to meet with God's people in a place where a sound and solid gospel is taught. Every one of you could have sinned this morning by not showing up willfully not showing up. Now we all know that there's reasons. We have dear sisters here, uh, a dear sister that's not able to make it, that's not feeling well, and that's certainly a different issue. But you just could have just blown the church off or not care or not esteem the worship of God as something of value. But all of you chose, You all of you passed a test this morning to make a little bit of effort for the God of the universe to express your worship and praise to by coming and meeting with His people in His name and His house. That was a test you proved. 
And that is one thing you can look at to show that you're not a reprobate. You're here worshiping God. And you think of now, start to think of all the trials you've had in your life, all the trials you've had this week to make a wreck of your life, to make a wreck of your Christian profession. And here you are. You're still professing yourself to be a Christian. You're still a worshiper of Jesus Christ. You have passed many, many trials this whole week by God's merciful grace. The only reason you passed them is because God is able to make a way for you to escape them. And it's God who has made sure that you're not drowning. Have you thought, thanked God for every time you have not failed Him this week? Now you're starting to see, wow, God has been merciful to me. I want to worship Jesus Christ. I don't want to do heroin and smoke bath salts and be a drunkard and carouse and, or take up with heresy. Those things are against my nature because God is, if Christ is in you, He is sanctifying your nature to make you more like Jesus Christ. And then you begin to, if you are a partaker of the new covenant, God is writing His law on your heart and on your mind and you begin to have an affection and a love for God's holiness and God's law. And that is manifested in you obeying Him through these temptations, through these trials. When you fall into trials, you have something on the inward of, yes, you have a lot of sin. And total depravity is a hard and, and, and just an unpleasant doctrine. It's an unpleasant truth. Even Christians with their new natures are still have some aspect of total depravity within them. But yet, they are not only totally depraved. You have the Spirit of God in you. God is sanctifying. You're growing in grace. You're being continually conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And you know this because you're not succumbing to all these diverse temptations that you have fallen into. Therefore, we count it all joy for imitating our Lord. We count it all joy in knowing our Lord once lived a life of trials, of sore trial, even the temptations of the devil himself. Jesus Christ lived a life of trial. What glory he gained in passing those trials, what glory he gained in rejoicing in his faithfulness. When you think of the trials that Jesus Christ went through and the trials that he suffered and how he Pass those trials to the full glory of God. He did not come short of the glory of God. And he lived the life that you would expect the God-man to live. He lived a life of sinless perfection. Though the devil himself came, manifested himself, and spoke audibly to the man Jesus in the fullness of his subtlety to tempt him to sin. And Jesus passed that test. Jesus Christ is righteous. He never broke God's law. He fulfilled His Father's will. He delighted to do His Father's will with all of His heart and soul, mind and strength. He loved God with all of His heart and soul, mind and strength all the time to the highest degree without wavering one single time. We rejoice in that and we have that set before us as the security of our justification. 
as the security of our salvation, as that which we're being brought up to. And if Christ is in us in any part, He's not in us perfectly yet, is He? God has not sanctified us fully, has He? He will one day. And though it may not, your life may not be just a, uh, a straight line going up. You're, every day you're a little more sanctified than you were yesterday. Sometimes the Christian life is like this, isn't it? But for the most part, if you're growing in grace, you are going steadily up. If anything, you're learning more and you're able to apply it more. You're learning of your mistakes that you made and foolish thinking patterns you've forsaken. You're more mature than you used to be. And therefore we count it all joy for imitating our Lord. What a, a marvelous thought to think that Jesus, being filled with the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led, in the Spirit, by, led by the Spirit in the wilderness, being 40 days tempted of the devil. Now, the servant is not above his Lord. If Jesus Christ was tempted, if Jesus Christ was tried, if the devil sought to destroy Jesus by temp- trying him, what do you think his servants are going to go through? Jesus himself said in Luke twenty-two twenty-eight, he said this, Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. This is the exact same word here in uh, as in James, when you fall into diverse temptations. That we continue with Him in His trials, in His temptations. He counted it all joy when Jesus Christ fell into diverse temptations. Because His falling into diverse temptations proved His own holiness. It secured comfort for our minds also that He proved it publicly that He was without sin. And we have confidence, yea, rejoicing to know that our righteousness is in a man that did not sin, and he proved this publicly by not sinning. By having Satan come to his face and tempt him. I don't know about you, but I would not want Satan to be standing right here tempting me to sin. I have a hard enough time just driving to work every morning. And to exhibit some self-control, this black pastor accused followers of James White, followers of James White, whatever that means, of uh, using racist language, accusing us of being racist. you got to have a little patience with people that say really dumb things like that. But God's people have historically always been tried. And Hebrews 11.17 says this, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, when he was tempted, not inwardly, but what was his temptation? When he offered up Isaac. God came to try him by commanding him to offer up his only begotten son Isaac as a sacrifice. And by faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac and that he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. So here is faithful Abraham manifesting that he does have faith through this trial. And that was a hard trial. He didn't understand everything. 
And we often don't understand all of our trials. We don't understand the implications of them or why God is doing this with me. I'm sure Abraham did not know why God had told him to kill his beloved Isaac. But he had this. He trusted in the promises of God. The immediate situation he didn't understand. He didn't understand that God would record this to help secure the faith of hundreds of millions of people throughout the centuries. And at that trial, which was hard to him, he may not understood it all. But now as he looks back, he sees and he's in the glories of heaven now. And he knows that that trial has brought so much comfort to other people. And you don't know whether your trials that you've gone through, that you don't understand, why have I gone through this? Why has this happened to me, Lord? Wouldn't you count it all joy to know that you could help and be a source of comfort to other, to God's people? Look at you. You've gone through hard trials. Some of you have gone through very hard trials. I've attended funerals where you wish you could, where it was your funeral instead of theirs. And you are joyfully worshiping Jesus Christ this day. You are a testimony. And don't underestimate that you are a source of joy and comfort to other God's people. At least to other people in this room. That's okay, I'm not using it. Uh, there's something wrong with the microphone. I've got to get it worked on. The perseverance of faith through all these trials proves the genuineness of your faith. You have been surrounded in the midst of trials and you are still a Christian to this day. I also take note of this. You have not been perfect in what you've endured, but you are still a Christian to this day. Happy is the man who has learned the lesson well that salvation is not by one's perfection. You are not a Christian because you're perfect. But you're a Christian because you have faith and you're striving after Jesus Christ. There are often times, and there's a particular example in the Scripture of someone that you wouldn't even know they were a Christian except they had fallen into diverse temptations. That is the subject of Lot. Turn to Second Peter chapter 2 with me. Starting in verse 6. We'll just start here in verse 6. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. And delivered just Lot, now how do we know that Lot was just? Because he was vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, or fallen in among them, and seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation. Again, a solid promise of God for the Christian. He knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. 
Therefore rejoice when you are in the midst of trial, for this is how you manifest or openly show your faith. This is how you openly show your faith. This is how Lot openly showed his faith. Now Lot wasn't going around, I'm going to show everybody that I'm faithful and that I don't like the things that they're saying and doing. Lot was just living his life, wasn't he? Now Lot certainly wasn't perfect. Lot was very far from being perfect, wasn't he? That was manifested later on after he left Sodom and Gomorrah. Even the idea that he pitched his tent there and sought to live in among them is highly questionable. Surely this wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah didn't appear in an hour. How would we know Lot was righteous except that he was in the midst of trial? He lived in Sodom. And I cannot think of a definition beyond the definition of temptation and trial beyond living in Sodom. Can you think of anything that would be define falling into diverse temptations than living in Sodom? There were riches to be had and lusts to indulge in that vain and infamous town. It was famous for the wickedness of its men, but I'm just guessing the women were fairly wicked also. So here's Lot in the midst of temptations, surrounded living in the definition of temptation. Now was he count it, how was he to count it joy by living in Sodom? Lot was certainly a complex character with plenty of sins in his life. But we know this, and the point of this story is the point of why Peter is bringing it up. For you to apply it in your life, the question is, are you vexed with unlawful deeds that you see and hear in your, in this world? Do you know for yourselves that you are like Lot? And we, like Lot, live in the land of America, Sodom. Are you vexed with the sins of America? When God weighs the sins of America in His balance of justice, you be ashamed with the part that you added in that sad judgment? Your sins do not cause you joy. The sins of America do not cause us joy. The sins of Sodom and Gomorrah do not cause Lot joy. Even the sins of physical pleasure do not so much as cause joy. And there's a truth that those who indulge the flesh and the so-called pleasures of the flesh It's a different kind of pleasure. The pleasures of sin are an ugly pleasure, and the sinner knows they're an ugly pleasure. That's why so many sinners hide these sinful pleasures behind closed doors. Because they know it feels somewhat good, but it's ugly. It is vile. It is shameful. Man was created for the pleasure of God. And there is a beauty to the pleasures of God. There is a beauty to the pleasures of God. There's a beauty to holiness, cleanliness, righteousness, goodness. These are true pleasures, everlasting pleasures, pleasures in the light, pleasures you can approach to, pleasures that glorify God. We, like Lot, are to count the preservation and manifestation of his faith joy. 
Lot was to rejoice that he was faithful to God, though not perfectly, all the days he was in Sodom. All the days he was in Sodom. His righteous soul was vexed day by day with their wickedness. If he were a mere sinner, a mere natural man, with a natural man's human-inspired righteousness, then he would have delighted in those foul deeds. But Lot was righteous. Lot had a new nature. Lot had the Spirit of God dwelling within him. And those sins he saw repulsed his righteous soul. Was not perfect. Some of the sins of Sodom had gotten into Lot. But Lot in his grace knew when it was time to deliver him out of that trial. And in time God said, no more, you're done. Come. And he sent the angels to get Lot and his wife and his daughters. And ye who are are still alive know that there will certainly be further trials to endure. As we look back on our lives and we see just, yes, by God's grace, we have manifested faith. I know that sounds boastful, but you're not saying it out of pride. You're not saying it out of uh, to boast, but you ought to boast in the Lord and say, look what God has saved me from. Look what God has saved me from. Revelation 2.10 says this, Jesus said, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried. The same word here. That ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Be thee faithful unto death through these trials, through these temptations, even temptations of the devil. Here's Jesus telling the church, that they will suffer satanic tribulations even unto death. And he says, hold out. There's a crown of life awaiting you. But we're not to go through this life expecting ease and comfort. But we know and here Jesus promises the church will have trials. And the church is going to manifest that they are the church by being faithful through these trials even unto death. Know that trials will come. Know that God will preserve you through them all. God will preserve us through all of our trials. Know that the work of the trials is the work of God. And that these trials do not extend beyond His control or His will for your life. They are His purging and purifying flames for His chosen vessels of grace. Though you cannot rejoice in the sins of the people, though you cannot rejoice in the sins of the people against you, yet as you persevere in a Christian manner, we see that we see with the eye of faith a crown of life, which is a crown of joy. And we can rejoice that as we endure these trials, just brings us closer to that crown of life. Let's pray.